welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. And now your host, Sonia Esther Sultani. Welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. It's the podcast for people in the jewelry industry that want to learn more. And it's also for jewelry lovers who just want to expand their knowledge. Here we talk about everything that has to do with vintage and antique jewelry. I'm your host, Sonia Esther Sultani, the editor-in-chief of Rappaport. I edit a monthly magazine for the trade that covers everything from mining to retail. I'm also editing an online publication called Jewelry Connoisseur, like this podcast, where you can learn about estate jewelry, contemporary design, color gemstones and diamonds. And I'm curating an Instagram account, Rappaport Jewelry Pro, that is covering the same topics. I hope we can educate as many as possible listeners that are enthusiastic about jewelry. I personally love to learn about jewelry. I love to have exciting guests to tell me more. And I hope that by the end of this new episode, you also feel you've discovered something new about the fascinating world of jewels. Today, my guest is Dana Kiyomura. Dana is a director of Kiyomura in New York that she founded a few years ago after having worked at Christie's and Fred Layton, where she learned about the wide range of top quality antique and estate jewelry on the market. Her focus is on sentimental and collectible pieces. She likes to find antique jewelry that has a bit of a twist. And she's particularly interested in Georgian jewelry, as she will tell us today. Georgian jewelry has been in the spotlight with Bridgerton, the series on Netflix. It appeals to an audience that likes sentimental jewelry. And Dana is going to tell us how to find authentic pieces and how to make the difference between this period and the next big one in the jewelry history, which is the Victorian area. Hi, Dana, joining us from New York. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm going to discuss something very romantic today, something trending, Georgian jewelry. People know it, people talk about it, especially since Netflix series has been out. So tell us, why is it so popular right now? I think that and you're correct. There are a lot of dramas that are being built around the Georgian era, which precedes the Edwardian era, which was very popular with Downton Abbey. Now we have Bridgerton, which is a very popular series that uh, depicts a very romantic period in time that was highly romanticized by authors like Jane Austen, who was a contemporary who wrote at the time. So the fashions have come into style and it's put a spotlight on the accessories that were worn with those types of fashion. And I think it is resonating with modern jewelry buyers today where they're learning about something new and they're liking what they see. And how about you? How did you come across Georgian jewelry when you started in this business? So I wasn't as versed in Georgian jewelry prior to my job working at a big store called Fred Layton. I was the buyer there for several years. And they really made a very big effort to educate and sell beautiful 18th century jewels as well as 19th century jewels. I learned on the spot there. I saw the most spectacular pieces. It was just something I learned about because it was so beautiful. In particular, Georgian jewelry is very symbolic. I think probably the first thing that I learned about was something called a poison ring with enamel that looked just like a jewel and might have a little pocket that opened up, a little case that opened up and perhaps poison was in there. And so somebody might pour a glass of wine and then tip what was in the contents of their ring into the wine to create an assassination. And I thought the story was so fascinating that I wanted to investigate more 
more types of jewelry like this. Um, you know, lovers' eye rings, which might have the eye painted of somebody's lover in their ring, was fascinating. And memorial jewelry was fascinating. So it just got me on a trend to read about it more and try to understand it and find more pieces like it. That is really interesting. I, I love the story of the poison ring. <laughs> We're talking about romanticism, a bit of uh, dangerous relations. The thing was specific about this period is that there are a lot of pieces on the market which are not authentic. They've been either upcycled or the setting or the stones. So what is special when you see an authentic piece of Georgian jewelry? How do you recognize it? And what are the characteristic features that make you say it's authentic from that time? You know, it's very difficult nowadays because, as you say, some things have been upcycled. So clever reproductions are made with pieces that were original, but perhaps reset or perhaps redone to create the pieces it might have been before. So it's very hard to tell. Generally, the shortcut to define between Georgian and Victorian is whether there's a closed back or an open back to the setting. So you can look very carefully at how the foiling was done. You have to look for perhaps even jeweler's marks because, of course, nothing was made by machine at the time. Everything was made by hand. So you might look for wear of the jeweler's mark. You might look at the authenticity of the painting, perhaps, if it was a miniature or something that was painted on ivory as opposed to to something that wouldn't have been existing at that time. Even professionals can be fooled, but there are telltales that if you have a very careful eye and look for certain things, you can discern whether it is truly authentic or not. But oftentimes you must trust perhaps the person that you're, you're making a purchase from also to rely on their expertise because nobody is perfect. <laughs> of course. And actually, it's like the, the reign of George III in England and doesn't stretch for such a long time. So actually also the period is quite short to identify pieces from these few decades. So the Georgian period, of course, refers to the time when King George was reigning England. There was actually a succession of several Georges who had short reigns that were kind of grouped together. Most of the jewelry that we see nowadays are from an era called the Regency period, which is sort of 1800 to 1820, which is the later part of the Georgian period, where we saw very ornate foliate, long, romantic pieces. So it was a time of prosperity between wars, I guess. Jewelry was making a huge comeback at that time and necklines were lowered for women. Dresses became much lighter and they stopped wearing corsets. So all of these things came together to create a great moment in time where jewelry could be shown off and worn and enjoyed. And you mentioned enamel for the poison ring earlier. In this time of prosperity, what kind of materials were used? And I guess diamonds were all over the show if you were part of royal cycles and the aristocracy. Exactly. For instance, the Golconda mine, I believe, was starting to be mined in 1780. So diamonds were definitely used for nighttime jewels, often set in gold, but covered with silver. So the silver, of course, would make the gold look white. And of course, the diamond would be shown off better. That was certainly the preferred way to set diamonds. But for daytime jewelry, stones such as garnets or agates or pearls, they were set in gold. Of course, there's no platinum at the time and no white gold. Occasionally, you would see rose gold because gold could be just mixed with other metals and alloys. But 
as I said, many of the pieces you find today that are true 19th, 18th century jewels, if they're diamonds, they were set in silver and gold, uh, which of course over time has oxidized. And uh, it makes this for today uh, on our market, we see the silver with a darkened uh, tarnish to it, which actually I think is probably even what draws people into Georgian jewelry is that it's not shiny and white anymore, but it has this very nice patina. And like that marks the authenticity of it as well, that kind of come from all the wares and tears from the, all these years. Yes. And you mentioned the foliette motifs. I think, you know, it was a time that floral motifs were very much in fashion. It was the same in France around the same time after, you know, the Pompadour and the Dubarry and Marie Antoinette, they loved their, their floral motifs. Are there other motifs from their time that specifically characterize Georgian jewelry? Yes, of course, there is an overlap with Victorian, but um, Georgian jewels had a lot of feathers. The stomacher was a, sort of a large brooch type of thing that would be worn sort of around the waist. And it was usually very, very foliate, very flowery. So those ideas with bows and things with loops were all uh, used in the stomacher or even for earrings. You'd often see bows hanging, what they call a pendulok, a long, uh, elongated oval shape earring or a girandole, which refers to three things hanging from a central motif. So things were definitely designed with movement, designed with loops, bows, as I said, feathers, even insects, often very prevalent in Georgian jewelry. And you mentioned the overlap between Georgian and Victoria. For a lot of people starting their collection or starting just to get initiated in jewelry, the morning jewelry, the floral jewelry, the sentimental jewelry, you associated maybe with Victorian jewelry? Yes, for sure. Yes. And are there typical examples that you could give us that, that would help someone starting to be a jewelry expert to make the difference between the two periods? So when Queen Victoria's reign started, she was very young and she, of course, was beautiful and just newly married. And it was an exciting time in history. But she also was very enthusiastic about jewelry. For instance, Prince Albert gave her a snake ring uh, as her engagement ring. So the snake motif really exploded during her reign. Of course, a lot of the jewelry still contained sentimental and love motifs during her reign. But I think that's just an extension of what was already there in Georgian jewelry, Georgian jewelry jewelry had a lot of the clothes back and they had a lot more hidden meanings. The acrostic rings were very much a Georgian thing, meaning that stones would be set to spell out a name or a feeling, oftentimes regard or dearest. This is what I mean by hidden meanings. Georgian jewels were always kind of infused with something that appears to be one thing, but could be another. I think in the Victorian times, it became just a little bit more commercial, a little bit more easier to find and maybe less precious. That's very interesting. What do you see when you source the Georgian jewelry? What are you looking for? Obviously, the authenticity, the materials. Is it difficult to source that type of jewelry right now? I think it is. It is hard to find the original, not tampered with piece. And I think that you have to be very careful about the items that you're looking at. At the same time, as I say, it's difficult. I find things and I think, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like this. It's a great example of something I've only seen in a book and it still comes around. You still see it. You're looking very carefully at the cuts of the stones, at the way it was set, at the materials it was made with to make sure that you're correct in your assessment of the time period it came from. These pieces haven't been destroyed yet and it's always a joy to find something new you've never seen before. The Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast will be back after this break. 
The Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast is brought to you by Rappaport Jewelry Auctions. Rappaport Jewelry Auctions offers centralized monthly auction markets that provide sellers with liquidity for their jewelry at fair market value prices and give buyers an opportunity to purchase estate jewelry at competitive market prices. Rappaport's auctions consist of unique estate, vintage, and signed jewelry, expertly curated and incredibly priced. With auctions held each month, there are always excellent buying and selling opportunities. Visit us at jewelryauctions.rappaport.com and register to participate in our upcoming auctions. Do you have any pieces at the moment in your collection that are typical of this period? For me, the bucket list items is a fantastic Girondole diamond earring. I've seen some several on the market that are spectacular. And I have a smaller version of something that's not quite my bucket list, but very close to it. It's a really beautiful 18th century pendant earring with the Girondoles and a little bit of emeralds at the bottom. So I find that to be one of my more coveted pieces. I just recently sold a really nice acrostic ring that was regard, had really bright rubies and bright diamond in the ring that I was very proud of. And I had also recently sold a beautiful feather set with rose-cut diamonds in silver and gold. Very large size. It could have been worn in the hair, could be worn on your lapel. It was really a beautiful tactile piece to hold, and it was lovely. I have many pieces that I covet, but oftentimes they find homes very quickly. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) And I don't know if you're allowed to, to disclose the information, but who are the collectors? Who are your collectors of Georgian jewelry? Can we, do they have a, a specific profile? Do you, do you see pattern? You know, I, I don't think so. I think that um, there's young ladies that I sell to who will buy lots of different jewelry, but they're drawn to the length of earrings that Georgian jewelry often have or the sentimental meaning that Georgian jewelry often have. So I think the most visible collector of Georgian jewelry is Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue. She always is known for her signature colored stone Riviere necklaces that she wears, and they happen to be original from the Georgian period. They are all closed back with foils. She has stones such as aquamarine, garnet, topaz, amethyst, pink topaz. She has all the colors that she stacks and wears almost daily. And she's created a mini trend, actually not probably a huge trend, (laughs) where a lot many ladies try to replicate that look. And it's not based, I guess, with her, right? It's It's the real deal. She might have some paste. You know, the colors were important at the time. When it was made, it wasn't so much about the gemstone necessarily. It was about the color or the shape of the stone. And it's not the good paste Georgia necklaces can command the same types of prices that a a real stone one would. You know, you just never know. They're all beautiful. Did they have this um, tradition as well already in the Georgian times that you see in Victorian times that people had a replica of their jewelry? So they would have one in paste and the real thing, or maybe not the real thing. Is that something that already started back then? I know what you're talking about. I would guess that might have been more in the Victorian era where craftsmanship might have become less expensive. I think that the handmade work during the Georgian period was really only available to the very elite. And during the Victorian times, there was probably more craftsmen available to replicate these types of perures in different gemstones. So yes, later in time, probably in the 1840s to 1860s, you would find a copy in paste uh, of a real thing that was in diamonds. 
or other gemstones. And for people who want to learn more about Georgian jewelry, I think it's fair to say it's not watching Bridgerton. I think Bridgerton is great maybe for the storylines, the romance and all the drama. But I think a lot of people have pointed out that it's not exactly accurate in terms of, you know, maybe the jewelry they're wearing or the costume directors have taken some liberties. Where should you go instead of watching Netflix if you want to learn about Georgian jewelry? What would you recommend? There is a wonderful book called Georgian Jewelry, written by a woman named Olivia Collings and Ginny Reddington Dawes. That, to me, is the Holy Grail book. It has this signature photo that I would love to replicate of many colored stone rivieres uh, on the front. They speak and have pictures of wonderful examples of Georgian jewelry. If you're so lucky to be in London and can visit the Victoria and Albert Museum, I think they're one of the Holy Grail locations of wonderful Georgian pieces. I really enjoyed watching Marie Antoinette with Kirsten Dunst. They had beautiful, real jewels. She wore beautiful jewels during the filming of that. Kira Knightley's The Duchess was also, I think, a very accurate costume portrayal of the time period. So I'd recommend all those places for inspiration and to learn. And of course, the internet has a wealth of knowledge and photos and examples of Georgian pieces. And do you have one piece that you feel is extremely comfortable? I believe two and a half years ago, uh, Sotheby's sold a very important royal collection of jewels that included a ring of Marie Antoinette's. And it was a closed back ring with enamel and the, her initials M.A. in a beautiful cursive font set with rose-cut diamonds. And it was just a tiny jewel, but so beautifully done and beautifully rendered. And of course, the history of it carries it much further in my heart. So I would think that if I could have bought it, I would have, but it wasn't to be at that time. But I always think of that ring as the pinnacle because it has the royal provenance and it has the enamel that was popular. It has the rose cut. It has the name. It, it was all in one beautiful package. And I think it's important to say that Georgian jewelry we always associated with Britain, but it was across the continent at the same time. You know, obviously France and the type of themes that were going on were kind of uh, European, maybe, and not just limited to England. Yes, for sure. Uh, Georgians, as you say, refers to the English kings, but it is a time frame that in history and in jewelry history, we refer to anything from that time frame as Georgian. But you're right. It spanned the continent. It spanned France and Prussia at the time. Even Portuguese jewelry, Chris Barrel, was used quite a bit in their jewelry making. All of the major European countries had their own version of very similarly designed jewelry. And it's something we always say as well on this podcast and everyone is like, you know, if you're looking for a specific piece, it's always better to go to an expert just to be sure that it's authentic, that you get the full story. I think that's very important. If you're not sure about something to have someone like you, Dana, dealers that have experience in authentication and provenance. Yes, it is always best to seek out expert advice if you have any questions. And I know personally and through many of my colleagues, everyone is very happy to impart their own advice and be helpful to any new collector or veteran collector um, in assistance. It's, it's, it's a joy to find people who share similar passions. Absolutely. And I'm very happy that you shared your passion with us today. Thank you so much, Dana. That was really such a lovely overview of Georgian jewelry. You know, I will encourage people to check your website, your social media as well, to learn more about not just Georgian jewelry, but the wide range of estate jewelry that, that you're covering at Kia Moore. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. 
Thanks for having joined us on this latest episode of the Jury Connoisseur podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and YouTube. If you like this podcast, give us your feedback and make sure that you subscribe so you won't miss any single episode. You also can find information on estate and antique jewelry on juryconnoisseur.net. 